Our text is from verse 5 there, where it says, He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Everything will be made new. People of God, as we come to the end of the summer, we also come to the end of looking at the contemporary testimony and It just makes me wonder, in relation to some of the other confessions we have, how do they end? How do you end? And so, if you think back, your knowledge of, say, the Heidelberg Catechism, how does the Heidelberg Catechism end? It's gone on about about our comfort. It's gone on about sin and, and how we are saved in Christ. And then it goes into our service, right? And we have the law, and then we have the Lord's Prayer. And then the very last Lord's Day is about Amen. Amen. So that's very nice. The Amen, the end. Amen means truly. Truly, all that we have confessed in the Catechism, all the biblical truth, is what we hold to. So that's a lovely way that the Heidelberg Catechism ends. Now a tougher question. How does the Belgic Confession end? Look it up quick. (laughs) 
The Belgic Confession goes through all the basics of the faith, and it ends with the final judgment, so that we will appear before the throne of God, and then it says, too, we will be judged. But then it says, too, the judge is our Savior. We know the judge, and so we are comforted at the final judgment, for Jesus, our Savior, is the judge, and in faith in him, we are saved. So that's a beautiful, comforting ending. The canons of Dort, they are, are uh, somewhat separate. It's interesting how they end, though. They, they have looked at the very clear specifics of how we understand five key areas of doctrine in terms of sin and salvation. And then at the end, the very last, it says, it's important that we study and know the exact points of doctrine. <laughs> that's how it ends. That's true. So that our comfort is truly on the word of God and that, that we look into these things and, and, and that how are we saved and, and is our, 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 do our works or are we, are we elect by grace alone, through faith alone. And so, so these things are important. And so that's where it ends, just stating to the importance of knowing what we believe and, and how that impacts centrally our faith every day. The contemporary testimony in its effort to bring a clear witness in our modern world ends with the new creation. The new creation. That's that's where it ends. And so what, what is that exactly? What is, it, what is it trying to say? What is it trying to do? And so it is definitely bringing a, a biblical truth. As our text says here in Revelation 21, verse 5, God says, I am making everything new. And, and our hope, our, our, our goal, our, our vision of, of the final hope that we have but it doesn't just say heaven. It includes heaven. Heaven is the hope, the hope of heaven. But it's bigger than that. And so, so it, it, it takes kind of a newer term, right? New creation, we don't use that as much. It does bring it forward under the term new creation. And the idea is to, to engage the culture in regard to, to what things will be like uh, by faith in, in God's future hope, the final plan. And, and there is a real interest in this in our culture. I had it even at, at Vacation Bible School. I had the privilege of, of teaching the, on the Friday, and it was, it was a section on heaven. And so I had all 50 kids in the room uh, through different, different uh, groups that came in. And, and boy, no problem getting them to answer questions or, or getting their attention. What's heaven like? And what's it going to be? And what it's going to do? And do we have our pets there? And, and can we eat there? And, and so I gave them chocolate chip cookies. Barbara made some cookies. It was part of the lesson. And then we thought, too, will we be eating in heaven? And right away, a lot of interest, a lot of wondering, a lot of... So this is an area that can engage the culture... And so it is a good place to end the, the confession with the, the hope that we have, the end that God has ordained, 
heaven or, or the new creation. You can gauge the interest in this area too if you go to the bookstore and you look under, under uh, like not even a Christian bookstore or, or any bookstore and then under the spirituality section and then, and then there is thought and discussion and books from, from different backgrounds on, on a future, right? Future. What's it going to be like? you follow the different teachings of different people under the new age section of thinking it, it talks about uh, becoming part of, of the life force a conscious kind of part it's not as clear or well there's a variety of things if you if you think about uh, the Buddhist influence of uh, Nirvana uh, liberation from this reincarnation cycle and, and you, you find different thoughts, different groups have presented different things. And, and it's, it's bought and it's talked about and it's looked into. So, so to present a Christian witness in this regard is definitely a, a has its place and engages people in a specific way. There is... There is a problem, however. There is within the Christian expression of our future hope. There is, there is a, a change that's happened over the last 150 years. The, the basic vision of, of the future hope that, that has been held in the church for hundreds of years, up until about 150 years ago, is as, as Jesus ascended, and then he says in Acts 1, I will come again and make all things new. And so we were waiting for the day when Jesus will come again, make all things new. The dead will be raised. 1 Thessalonians 4 talks about Jesus coming with the trumpet. The dead will be raised. Those who are living will be uh, caught up and together we will be with the Lord and, and the end will come. That changed about 150 years ago, and it, it has caused a little confusion. That basic understanding we still hold very much centrally in our understanding of how things will go, but there has been added uh, quite a number of different uh, nuances and options around a few key words. One word is the millennium. So you've heard probably of the millennium, a 1,000 year reign. And there is reference to that. We feel it's more of a symbolic, and I'll explain that a little later. But the thought is, out of Revelation 20, it mentions it in verse uh, 4 and 5, that Jesus is going to reign for 1,000 years, and uh, those who, who worship him, his followers, are, are going to also reign with him, come to life and reign with Christ for a thousand years. So, so that's, that's, yeah, we, we haven't, there wasn't much done with that, but now all of a sudden that becomes the central thing. And so in this way of thinking, you, you have to fit that in somehow. And then you add Matthew 24, verse 40 and 41, which says uh, the next key word is rapture. 
And so end times thinking, yeah, if you're going to be talking, these words come up. And the word new creation doesn't come up. Quite as, it's millennium and rapture, and how does that go? And the rapture, based on Matthew 24, two men will be in a field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a mill, one will be taken, the other left. And so that, that is drawn in alongside the millennium. And so how do those two fit together? And they've been fit together in different configurations. Uh, the basic problem, uh, Jeff Wyma at the seminary has a nice paper on this. And, and he, he clearly points out, too, that, that the actual use of that verse to support the idea of, of a rapture, people being caught up, is actually not there because the vision, the understanding, the context of Matthew 24, verse 40 and 41, it's the ones who are left, those are the good ones. And the ones who are gone, those are gone to destruction. And the, the, the context is the days of Noah. And it says, Noah, who was left in the ark, was saved, and all the others were taken away, were lost. But then that gets turned on its head, and then those who are actually taken away are saved, and the ones here. So, but that's not really what it's saying at all. So there are definite weaknesses. We, we as a Reformed faith, do not hold to a rapture at all in that sense. But that's out there, and that gets thrown in. And then there's uh, the third thing is the tribulation. You have the millennium, the rapture, and the tribulation. And those three, uh, the tribulation is, is either three and a half years or seven years of, of very much suffering for the Christians, for the church, or for the world. You get a variety of things too. Now the main picture uh, of, of the tribulation with the rapture is that believers, if you, if you talk to people about how this is going to go in the future, uh, those who really follow it and look into it, the, the sequence that they present to you in relation to those three, that you will have the rapture, and in the rapture, all believers will get caught up to heaven. And then they are then spared. They're like up in the balcony. And then they get spared all of the difficulties during the seven years of tribulation or the three and a half, three and a half, there's different thoughts. But they, they don't have to go through the suffering at all. They're kind of up in the balcony watching. And then when that's all over, all the suffering's over, then they come back with Christ and then they reign with Christ for a thousand years. So these are things that are put out there. One of the problems with that view in relation to the tribulation is that nowhere in the Bible does it say like, that we will be spared suffering. Like the goal of our faith is not that we would be spared suffering, that, that we need to get caught up and that we need to just, just escape suffering. Jesus himself in John 16 says, I suffered, you're going to suffer. That's just the way it is. And when there's suffering also out of Peter, 
constantly speaking to people, Christians who are being persecuted, and there's no, no sense of, oh, we'll be spared. Believers, by believing, you will not suffer. The Bible everywhere says if you are a Christian, you will suffer. Don't, don't expect not to suffer. And all of the teaching in this world, too, of, of if you're a Christian, you'll never suffer, that's a lie. Because the Bible says, if you're a Christian, you'll suffer. Because in this world, there's suffering. But by God's grace in Christ, we have overcome the world. But this, this sense of escaping suffering sounds nice, very appealing. It's not biblical. If you consider the persecuted church today, too, constantly suffering... Their prayer is not to be spared from the suffering, but rather to be faithful in the suffering. And so that's what we are called to as well. So, so these kind of things get, get drawn together in contrast to the, the simple word which speaks about, in fact, yeah, how are things unfolding how are these things in revelation we would we would take them more symbolically and so here they get taken very literally and they get moved around and i cannot even explain to you all the different nuances because it's become more and more uh, complex and convoluted and and pastors like john hagee i i saw too. He had he had like eight huge uh, diagrams behind him, and he was trying to point out up and down and round and round, and people coming and going, and it was all he had it all figured out. And yeah, it was definitely impressive on the one hand. I, I think too, it's it's much much more, yeah confusing and it's not as helpful as people watch all of that and wonder about all of that. Our our basic stand continues to be in relation to who our hope where our hope lies, who our hope lies in. And so we would we would say our hope is in Jesus and the future is secure in him and that when Jesus died on the cross and when he rose victorious from the grave, he bound Satan. He bound him. So it says in Revelation, uh, for a thousand years, for this time, Satan, his, his overall authority is, is bound. Jesus has the authority. And so, so we would say we are living right now in the 1,000 years. That's, that's our, it's not coming, we are in it. And Jesus, we are the church too, who preaches the ascension. Wayne had a nice message here this year on the ascension. You won't find that in other churches. But we would say, Jesus, in his ascension, Acts 1, he, he reigns right now. And, and we are reigning with him in the sense of, yeah, in his power. The, the church goes forward, and it has and continues to go forward. And so we see Jesus now in power, building his church, 
uh, in the power of the Spirit until he comes again. Will things get more and more difficult? Yes, there will come time when it becomes difficult, more difficult. Christians have had difficulties and will have that suffering, that persecution. But in the end, Christ will come to make all things new. And that's the hope that we have, that he will come and make all things new. What, what will that look like? The new creation. Revelation 21 gives some indication, and these are the beautiful things we can share with people too. The, the, the picture in Revelation 21 is, is of a, a renewed earth. It talks about a new heaven and a new earth, and it talks about them coming together, Revelation 21, verse 2 and 3, where the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven. And so, so God is with his people. It, the newness is, is coming back to the created order where we have, like God walking with Adam and Eve in the garden, that, that closeness was separated by sin, but the newness is that it's back together again. We are together again. God with us. And that's been the point through the Bible. God coming near through the tabernacle, the temple. God coming near in Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. God in the Spirit coming down at Pentecost. And the new creation has the relationship completely restored. We are with God. God is with us. Heaven and earth are together. That's the picture. The bride and the bridegroom. Revelation 21 verse 2. They are united again. Uh, Revelation 21 verse 4 gives that, that beautiful detail of what that will be like. No more tears or pain, no more death, because this is a sinless, wonderful place. And verse 5, Jesus making everything new, our text. Like, like an old, an old uh, car been, been rusting in the back of the of the, the farm and everything is seized and the tires are rotted and the glass is smashed and now it's made completely new again. Perfect. Beautiful. Just as God intended. So this aspect of newness is, is also evident throughout the Bible and if you talk about a new creation you can tie back to the new covenant, the new man, a new heart, Exodus 18 that we sing a new song. Jesus' words in John 13, a new commandment I give you, that there's a, a newness in faith and an eternal newness. And that comes out most in terms of uh, our new bodies. 1 Corinthians 15, where, where the question is asked, what will that be like? And this is in, in 1 Corinthians, um, the, the church members have written to Paul and asked him a bunch of questions. And so he's been speaking to them and, and preaching to them about the new creation. And now they ask him, well, what exactly about our physical bodies? How will they be made new? And so it's, it's a fascinating analogy that he uses. Uh, the, the picture that we understand when a seed is planted, uh, it's like the bodies that we bury in the ground. And that, that's going to become a glorious 
yeah, it's it's much bigger and and wondrous and 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 if you plant a seed of grain or or, or wheat or or even a flower seed or a vegetable seed, it, it becomes so much more, and that's really the picture. It's so much more, <coughs> truly great and wonderful, and the comparisons he gives here in one Corinthians fifteen verse forty-two, from from perishable. <coughs> to imperishable. So everything, everything about us kind of fades, kind of, yeah, goes down. But, but nothing will fade then. It's imperishable. You will be just, just fully alive and vigorous. No disease will affect you. No fading of eyesight or hearing. Uh, all your senses perfectly attuned. Your memories will not fade uh, all of these kind of things, there will be nothing will perish, nothing will, will deteriorate. It's, it's pretty amazing. Then you have uh, verse 43, uh, from this honor to glory. And so all of the, all of the things that, that can become uh, shameful in relation to the body are, are completely restored to beauty and thankfulness. Uh, verse 43, uh, weakness to power. So injury, illness, uh, limitations of mind and body, uh, fatigue and frailty, all those things, they don't impact anymore. And then from natural to spiritual, so, so the faith, walking with God, being in tune with the Lord, being, being in harmony with Him, to have our spiritual self fully strong, vigorous, focused, that will be clearly at the center. Our love for God and his love for us. We will respond with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind. It's, it's going to be amazing, the new body. The example that, that we have in this particular regard is Jesus' resurrected body. When he came and, and met with his disciples for those 40 days, and they, they recognized him, but, but somehow not, because he was the same, but, but he was so much greater. And then he ate with them, but did he really need to? But he did, and so that was part of it. And, and, and he was in his glorified body, but he still had the scars. So, so how does that work? Because the scars wouldn't, wouldn't injure him or hurt him or hinder him in any way. But they were still evidence of who he was. And so, so there are aspects of, of our earthly body made new. And, and it's, it's just a very, very, uh, uh, it, it's beyond our understanding, but it is, it is very intriguing and very uh, hopeful and encouraging. A great comfort for us, too, who are bodily people. And so to have a glorified body is to see God's creation renewed in perfection. I'd just like to close with the words of 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. Whenever you think about, talk about uh, the future, heavenly things, uh, the things of the new creation, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9 uh, says, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the human heart conceived, this God has prepared for those who love him.
So the hope that we have is that great eternal future blessed of God, the new creation, which will dazzle our senses and fulfill our every longing. What a glorious hope we have. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the hope that you give us. Hope in this life and eternally, we thank you. We thank you that we can offer this hope to a world that is so very narrow-minded and so very limited in terms of its hope. Lord, we pray that too, witnessing in this area, those around us, those who wonder about this life and things beyond this life, that we can say to them, explain to them, share with them, the hope that we have in your preparing and making all things new. We thank you that even in the struggles, we can be assured of your presence and power and that we can continue each day to live in the assurance of your guiding, leading, providing, and keeping us in your care till that great day that you take us home or you come again in glory. Lord, we put our hope, our trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.